Hey, welcome back. Krista in the afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for the inimitable Al Krista. How enticing was that offer to name your own hissing cockroach? Uh, if you're interested, do look into it. Now, uh, on to conversations of consequence, talking about the things that matter most. Lawyers for Theodore McCarrick, the disgraced former cardinal, posit that he is not mentally fit to stand trial for allegedly sexually abusing a teenage boy in the 70s. Dr. Matthew Bunsen joins us to discuss this in other church news. Matthew Bunsen is the executive editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News, and he's also a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, author and co-author of over 50 books, uh, including the first English-language biography of Pope Francis. Um, he is on Twitter. Follow him, at Matt Bunsen, and he hosts Register Radio, which airs Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. How are you doing, Matt? I'm very well. A happy new year. I don't think we've uh, talked since uh, the turn of the year. Oh, yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, happy new year to you too, sir. Uh, so <laughs> a lot to talk about pertaining to McCarrick. Please let us know what's going on. Just give us the highlights for, for a minute there. Well, as we all remember, uh, Theodore McCarrick, uh, the disgraced former cardinal, uh, is on trial or is supposed to be on trial for uh, allegations of uh, sexually abusing a 16-year-old boy quite a few years ago. Uh, the team that was representing him, he's 92 years old, is uh, filing a motion to dismiss the case and hence the trial on the basis of what they are asserting anyway, uh, is an analysis of him, uh, uh, basically that he has suffered such significant neuropsychological deficits. In other words, he has now cognitive and memory problems and health issues to the point uh, where a trial, as far as they're concerned, he's simply not competent to stand trial. And at this juncture, he's 92 years old. The man is frail. He, he is old and uh, <laughs> clearly uh, still on the receiving end of tremendous animosity. I mean, as he was walking into and out of the courthouse, uh, you know, protesters were heckling. So, you know, tell us what the public feel of, of, of this trial looks like. Well, the, the, the trial itself uh, is supposed to be held in uh, district court in Massachusetts, and the, the judge in this particular case uh, is awaiting the reporter, was a couple of days ago. And the, the mood, obviously, there, there, there are two ways of looking at this. The, there's the public opinion, so to speak, uh, as you noted, uh, distinctly hostile uh, toward uh, the former cardinal who's been forcibly laicized, uh, who in so many ways has become the figure, the image of the second half of the, the two decades now that uh, we've been confronting the clergy sexual abuse crisis. He has become such a lightning rod for so many, especially of the abuse survivors, given the scale of his influence uh, in Rome and in the United States, and then just the sheer scale as well of his fall from power and grace. Mm -hmm. But then we also have all of the legal requirements uh, that are taking place surrounding the trial. And that's, I think, where this is uh, headed now with this legal team that is arguing, and we'll have to see if uh, the district court judge accepts this, uh, that he is in no longer any condition uh, to stand trial, uh, given that the problems, again, he has cognitive disability, he's got memory issues, his health is so dreadful. And anyone who actually, as you note, have seen photos or videos of him, the physical decline is truly significant. Mm -hmm. Is it sufficient enough for him to be declared incompetent is another matter. But 
I, I mentioned these two aspects of this. There's the, the public opinion, but then there's also the trial. And the two, I think, are now inextricably tied together because I think there are if he is declared unfit to stand trial, there will be the usual uproar and understandable uproar on the part of abuse victims right. that somehow justice is not just being delayed, but in this case, short-circuited. Right, right. Absolutely. And unfortunately, with this, uh, with this claim from his defense, it, the, the burden is now upon the Commonwealth to, to, to establish the fact that he is competent to stand trial. And, and that, that's going to be quite the endeavor. Uh, it will. So the argument is, and, and I can actually read some of the, uh, this, the documents filed in this case, uh, a final report is expected within 30 days, but the, the argument is that based on preliminary discussions, uh, the counsel representing him have developed serious concerns that Mr. McCarrick, and that's always important to stress, mm-hmm. may no longer be legally competent to stand trial because he would be unable to assist meaningfully in the preparation of his own defense or to consult effectively with counsel during trial with a reasonable degree of rational understanding. Now, there are very clear requirements and parameters for how such a, a declaration is made, how a determination is made. And I think that's what we're going to see in the coming weeks as these documents are actually submitted in front of the judge. Again, we'll have to see if this trial ever proceeds. The, his legal counsel also uh, want to argue this from a secondary perspective, which is that the charges should be dismissed. They claim that uh, due process forbids his prosecution for misconduct that you know, allegedly occurred 50 years ago. And, and is that an allegation that will go anywhere? Uh, I, I doubt it. Um, when he was arraigned in, in September of 2021, he, he pleaded not guilty on three counts of indecent assault and battery on a person over the age of 14. Even then, he looked in very, very bad shape. And I can certainly attest to having seen other photos and other things that he has not uh, gotten any better. So we're talking about now a legacy of accusations and uh, charges and just the utter destruction of what was one of the most powerful church leaders in American history. Talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, executive editor and Washington bureau chief for EWTN News and prolific author, also host of Register Radio. So, Dr. Bunsen, let's go back to the doctor that... uh, that that conducted the neurological test. Uh, so, th- I mean, this this doctor has no no skin in the game, and he's a pretty established individual, Dr. David Shretland. He's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at John Hop- Johns Hopkins. That's so, right. So, this is a very well established individual, and there seemed to be some credibility to his assessment. Then, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, any uh, competent. Uh, professor and expert in psychiatry and behavioral sciences is fit to determine whether or not somebody is competent to stand trial. This is also a fairly straightforward process. Uh, I think it's also one that we see on a fairly regular basis in different trials involving different uh, people accused as to whether or not they are, in fact, competent to stand trial. Uh, Notably, uh, he did his examination of uh, McCarrick uh, at uh, the the place where McCarrick is actually living in in Missouri, uh, where he's been essentially in exile now uh, since, uh, uh, what, 2018. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in in Missouri, exactly. So uh, I'd like to pivot from that uh, very simply to just ask your your feedback. So the court of public opinion seems to have their mind uh, made up about this situation. Uh, how, How do you think things are going to proceed from here? Well, I, I suspect that uh, the, this final report will be reviewed uh, by the authorities in this case. 
uh, I would be surprised, and this is just purely my opinion based on uh, who's doing this assessment and mm. where the trial potentially could be, I would be surprised if this case actually does go forward, but uh, I'm out of the prediction business where any of this is concerned. <laughs> uh, let's just say it's very difficult for any of us to have a particularly great track record on some of this. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for talking to us about that. Uh, we, we've got about four and a half minutes uh, on this segment, and yeah. uh, I, I never like to delight in the pain of uh, individuals, but a thief stole the statue of St. Michael from uh, a church in New Mexico, and the statue <laughs> impaled him. Uh, again, we don't want to find mirth in the suffering of others, but what was going on there? Well, there is a certain irony, perhaps, to all of this. Uh, in this case, uh, it uh, took place in a, a church in Monterey, Mexico, where a thief uh, was trying to steal uh, this beautiful statue of St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, he chose probably the worst time to do it because, according to the, the Catholic News Agency, which reported the story, he was drunk at the time. <laughs> and, yes, well, your, your mirth is understandable. Uh, when he made the decision to basically steal something from the church. Now, he tried to jump over a fence, uh, broke the glass door, and then entered the church, and then stole the statue. And the problem is that given that he was drunk, it was dark, he tripped, and then fell on the angel's sword. And he was apparently stabbed in the neck and was found by some people who were passing by and uh, called for medical help. And uh, the problem was that uh, when the civil protection authorities arrived, uh, they had to cut the padlock on the main gate uh, in order to get in it. So he had to apparently sit there for some time, having been injured by a statue of St. Michael the Archangel. Again, the, the irony of a case like this just sort of speaks for itself. Oh, dear. He seems to be doing fine. It, again, not not to delight in, in the travesty that incurs, occurs in another person's life, but you just have to wonder about the thought process that went uh, went behind that decision-making, despite the fact that he was inebriated. Well, I was going to say that there may have been a lack of thought process, <laughs> uh, given his, his apparently inebriated condition, as you note. But this stands uh, in marked contrast. Uh, here was somebody who was drunk who, for whatever reason, thought this was going to be a good idea. Uh, this is very different uh, from now we don't know exactly what the motivations were at that point, but um, the number of attacks, the number of thefts, the the vandalism, the arson mm -hmm. that happen now on a regular basis against churches uh, is something that we always have to make note of. Right. And again, we don't know what his motivations were here, what he was thinking at the time, but it's a reminder too of just how often. Uh, statues and churches and even now tabernacles uh, are under assault uh, in the United States and especially in countries like France and, and elsewhere in Europe. Right. And considering the fact that statistics are showing more and more that uh, Christians are the number one, uh, statistically at the very least, uh, persecuted group in the world, uh, just give us an exhortation for uh, standing fast and firm in our faith and what to look out for. Well, we've just uh, uh, been reading reports about uh, the suffering and the, the murder of a priest in Nigeria who was burned to death in his own rectory. Mm -hmm. uh, these are horrifying incidents, and they are a, a stark reminder of the immensity of suffering of Christians by the hundreds of millions around the world who suffer perhaps from social disabilities, perhaps from legal disabilities, cultural disabilities, but in so many cases also 
genuine threats to their safety and very survival. Why? Because they proclaim Jesus Christ. We're seeing soft forms of persecution develop, uh, certainly in the West, in the United States. Uh, we have people who are being fired uh, for acting in their conscience. Uh, postal workers who refuse to work on Sundays who are under pressure. Which we see all of these cases that are making their way to the Supreme Court. Those are difficult for us, and we need to defend religious liberty, but we also need to be aware of the genuine physical violence and death that Christians are facing, and they're doing so steadfastly. Mm. That the term of martyr is a witness, yep. and they are witnesses to the faith, and we need to keep them in our prayers. I want to thank you, Dr. Bunsen. I've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News. We've, been, we've just been discussing uh, the Theodore McCarrick case and updates, as well as certain things that have been showing up in Catholic News. Uh, Dr. Bunsen is a regular uh, sub-host for Al on Crescent in the Afternoon. Stay tuned with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Presta on Crescent in the Afternoon.